Um, this is uh, Jonah. We're going to end up uh, completing our series in Jonah today, and this is sort of a very intense conversation that God has with Jonah to uh, bring this book to a close, and I think it's absolutely um, important and, and genius in the way that it closes up, but it ends with a question. It ends with uh, um, God saying, I, I, you know, am I not basically allowed to love Nineveh with all its people and also much cattle? You know, and that's, and that's how the book ends. Um, and so don't be thrown off by that question. We'll explain, we'll explain what that means as we work through the sermon. And so this is God's word to you today. Let's pay uh, careful attention to how God interacts with Jonah. This is Jonah 4, starting in verse 4. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Now Jonah went outside the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm and attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there were more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Um, it's our practice here to spend some moments in silence before I preach and just as a reminder, God's with us right now, and when you pray, it is very easy, again, to just let somebody else pray. I don't want you to do that. I want you to engage in prayer silently with me, and as you're here to meet God, that's what we're doing here. Uh, this is your in purpose and goal as a human being, is to commune with God. This is the purpose of the book of Jonah, and so let's ask that God would meet all of us right here, right now, through, through the Word. Let's pray. Father, there may be uh, many motivations and reasons why we are here in this room together, but your guiding providence is behind it all, and the ultimate purpose for all of us is to enjoy you forever, to enjoy being with you, uh, to not uh, be running away from your presence, but that we would see from from the words of Scripture, from your your kind face being revealed to us through the pages of Scripture, that your love has been pursuing us since the beginning, just like it's pursuing Jonah, and that you won't leave us alone, that you are so kind to continue to come after us in every single way possible, 
because you want to teach us that your heart beats for us and that when our hearts begin to beat for you, we can have peace. We can let go of our bitterness. We can let go of the ways, that, the ways in which we think the world should work. And we can look to you through patient waiting and prayer and hope that you are restoring all things. And so would you come now, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Um, there are so many things in this passage, but the thing that I want to focus on is that God wants to commune, commune with you. He wants to be near to you. He wants to draw near to your heart. He wants to have a conversation with you. And He wants to reveal what's going on deep in the recesses of your heart so that you can be convinced that He has been loving you all along. Now, the way in which God has, has done that in the life of Jonah is that He's given him a comfort in life with the plant, and then He took it away for the purpose of getting Jonah, for the purpose of getting his heart. And my guess is if you've walked with God at any time at all in your life, you can sort of see that pattern as well, that God has allowed comforts or given comforts in your life or things that you really liked. And then he took it away. And in some instances, we cannot explain why we go through certain types of suffering, but some comforts you can very much see that if the Lord had let you continue on with this comfort, it would have caused major, major damage in your life. And it was his kindness that took it away from you. It was his kindness. So that you would be drawing near to him and so that he would be drawing near to you and you'd, and you'd see it. And so that's what we're going to look at from this text. God gives, God takes away to get you, okay? God gives things, God takes away things in order to get your heart. And you see this with the plant and the worm in verses 6 through 8 in the text. Jonah goes out of the city to the east, and he's crossing his fingers, and he's hoping that God will destroy the Ninevites and obliterate them. And he doesn't. But then God, he does something interesting. God appoints a plant to provide shade for Jonah. It says that Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now that word for glad is used all the time in the book of Psalms. It's a Hebrew word that means when the, when the human body and soul are full of joy. It's like the precious oil when, uh, when life is just absolutely amazing. Well, this is where Jonah is. He's very, very happy about this plant, and he's a little bit... Uh, bipolar is what we would call it today. He's like on the, on the heights and on the depths, and he gets very happy about this plant. But by the morning, God appoints a worm to destroy the plant so that the shade, there's no covering for the shade. And so he's out in the middle, the middle east with a, with a terrible wind and the, the sun beating down on his head. And what God is doing in this plant and it being taken away is that he's giving Jonah a little a little real-life parable of what's going on inside of his heart and where God is in Jonah's mind and if he's living in submission to him as his creator. And uh, there's, a, there's a great little phrase in Psalm 39, 11 that succinctly summarizes exactly what's going on. And li listen to this verse. Psalm 39, 11 says, God, when you discipline a man... With rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth 
what is dear to him? When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. And so what God is doing in Jonah's life is that he's disciplining him to show, them, to show him his love. He's not doing it because he's cruel. And how he's doing it is that he's willing to give Jonah a comfort and willing to take it away for the purpose of training Jonah in God's love. That's what he does in your life. And you may be like, well, that sounds a little cruel. Um, if you're a parent, this is what you do all the time. This is how you raise kids. You know, a, a child, when they're little, when they're toddlers, they cannot think in abstract thought. They're concrete learners, right? This is why it doesn't work to tell a, a toddler, hey, go in your room and think about what you've done, you know? Um, that, that doesn't work with somebody that's really, really tiny, and that's because our brains aren't, aren't there yet, and, and that's why we put electrical you know, covers over outlets, because a small child cannot prevent themselves from danger unless there's an immediate concrete consequence. And a parent who doesn't discipline their child is either neglectful, and as they grow, if they neglect discipline, they're scared that the child won't like them back. And if you don't prevent uh, a comfort from your children throughout their lives, they become a danger to themselves and to others. Now listen, the point is, this isn't a parenting sermon, okay? Um, the point is, at best, Jonah is like a spiritual toddler. And God's taken away a comfort in his life to show him what? And you think, about, think about what he's going through. What, what God's been showing Jonah is that he loves the Ninevites. The Ninevites, by all standards, were terrible people. They were his enemies. And what God was slowly showing Jonah is his character-revealing name, that he's slow to anger and he's abounding in love. And what was happening is that the more that Jonah knew about the love of God, the less Jonah loved God. There's a gap. And so, he's taking this comfort away so that Jonah can begin to feel what God feels towards people. Does that make sense? He's taking this plant away, and Jonah's like, I really, I really like this plant. I, really, I, found, I found it comforting. So that, so that God could give him a little window and how he feels about human beings. And so look at the dialogue in verse 8. Jonah's asking that God might let him die. <laughs> He's being childish, like a toddler. And God graciously says, like we looked at last week, do you, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah's like, yes, angry enough to die. And here's the lesson. God says in verse 10, he says, Jonah... You pity the plant, and that word for pity means to look on with compassion. You have compassion for the plant, which you did not labor for, nor did you make it grow, which came into being overnight. And then he says this, and this is genius, will you not allow me to have pity for Nineveh? And the way that you think about the world, will you not allow me to have the same pity that you had for the plant, for human beings? God is saying to Jonah, Listen, brother, you're so twisted up. You're bitter. 
And the reason why is because you're trying to sit in my place. You're trying to discern what's good and bad through your circumstances. You can't do it. You were so happy about the plant and the comfort that it brought you, and now you're angry enough to die. And he's saying, think about it, Jonah. I created the Ninevites. I love this city. All those children, all those business folk, all those artists, all those marriages. I've been at work in in their lives for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is the capital city of Assyria. And they they don't know their right hand from their left. They're insane. And I want my goodness to infiltrate this city. I want the gospel to transform this city. God is saying everything, think about the past two weeks of your life, Jonah. Everything in your experience has obeyed me. The ship, the sailors, the fish, the Ninevites, the plant, the worm, the wind. And he's looking at Jonah in the very last portion of this book, and he's saying there's only one in this story that hasn't obeyed me yet, and it's time. It's time for you to come to me. And guys, like this is what it comes down to for all of us. We will not be at rest until we submit to God. And I know that that word is hard. It's not just our culture that hates that word. It's the heart of every human being that's ever lived. This was Adam and Eve's first problem. They were tempted to think that they knew what was the difference between good and bad, and they couldn't do it. It was too much for us. And you see it plainly here in Jonah. He's looking at the Ninevites and saying, they're bad, and I'm good. And God says, that's not how we're going to divide the world up. There is only one good. God is so kind, even in his disciplinary conversations he's having with Jonah, he's saying, I know you know how to have pity. You just had pity with this plant. You just had compassion on the plant. Now, will you have that same level of care and concern for human beings, even the ones that hurt you? They're more valuable than this plant. Now, according to the text, God loves all of his creation. He clearly loves cattle, but that's probably representative of the economy in Nineveh. He loves plants. He loves worms. But, and I want you all to hear this clearly, human beings are where it's at for God. Mountains are beautiful. Oceans are beautiful. But human beings are the thing. That's the apex of his creation. You are the center of his care. We, we looked at, uh, with Jen, we looked at Psalm 8 this morning. Human beings are the apex of his creation. And do you know where there are a lot of human beings? Cities. And many times, you guys, religious folks, traditional folks, abandon cities because it's, we think it's too far gone. And I'm not talking about just Christians. We were just in, in Turkey, and our, and our guide, our Turkish guide, said this is what Muslims do too. All the nominal uh, Muslims in these major cities in Turkey, are there are very few practicing Muslims in the major cities, and those who actually practice the Islamic faith live in more rural settings than the city centers. And we do the same in Christianity in the United States. Our tendency in the U.S., It's to look at the coast and the urban centers and the universities and say it's too far gone, it's too secular. And we abandon them. 
The public spaces are too broken. And yet Christians throughout history on the whole have never had that view of retreat. The kingdom of God is never in retreat. It's always advancing. Guys, this is why Paul went into the center of pagan cities like Athens and proclaimed the resurrection. This is why Augustine went to Rome and Carthage. This is why God sent Jonah into the heart of Nineveh. Nineveh was a pagan civilization and violent and the reason why is because, y'all, God is always at work everywhere at all time in every person. This church was planted with that view of the gospel. That the gospel is always relevant and consequential to every person in each time, no matter what. Now, God's on the move. How you treat other people especially those who don't believe what you believe, will reveal if you actually believe that. This is what God is teaching Jonah. Um, I, I am not in favor of having like revisionist history of, you know, Christians have done terrible things throughout the history of the world. They've committed terrible atrocities, but one thing the gospel does produce that you can read about throughout each age is that it produces human beings who sacrifice for other human beings despite what type of person they are. There's all sorts of cultures and people that sacrifice for a cause or a movement or for a nation, but it's Christians and Christians alone that look at an enemy or a friend and say, my life for yours without distinction. And the reason why we do that is because this is what God does with us. He came down and he broke down the dividing wall of hostility while we were his enemies. You know, no one's like naturally good at that. <laughs> this is why it's a supernatural work. And this is why Christianity is the most transcultural thing in all the world. This is why we have like 10 different countries represented like in our church. Because it's so powerful and so captivating to the human heart that it instinctively is like, oh my gosh, that's, that's where I belong. I belong in this community that transcends culture and time and space and is relevant to everyone everywhere at all times. Because Jesus Christ has the power to break the reigning sin of di differentiating ourselves into good and bad camps with each other. And what God is doing is that he's slowly reforming Jonah's mind as he thinks about the other. And we all have the other. We all make distinctions. And what God does is that he teaches us that other, that other is my image too, God says. And so you, you must love them. And to the degree that you think that I have loved you will be the measure by which you love them. And when the gospel is at work in us, guys, we can look at the other and say, 
even the worst other in our minds and say, you know what I see in you? I see God in you. You would make a great follower of Christ. And you know why? Because God saved me. He went to the deepest, darkest places in my heart and he exposed it. That's, that's why Christianity is, is so unique because it cares for the outsider as well as the insider, no matter who the outsider or insider is. And you see it here in our text, God goes after the Ninevites and he's going after Jonah. And what he's saying to Jonah is like, look, just like the father and the prodigal son, the older brother, he's like, you've always had my love, son. You've always had my love. Now, why are you so bitter? Why are you so angry? Because I'm throwing a party for, for somebody that you don't like. I'm throwing a party for somebody that's ruining your life. This is where the genius of the story leaves us. The whole time we've been thinking about uh, this story as being primarily about Jonah, who's a disobedient, sulking, childish prophet. One pastor says it's like, uh, somebody throwing a spear and, and it's heading towards Jonah and with this last question, it's like Jonah moves out of the way and that spear is coming right at us. And why it's coming at us is not cruel. It's to expose what's in our hearts so that we can see the depth of God's love for us. As several scholars pointed out, I mean... Here's how we know that Jonah, I think Jonah was changed. Uh, how do we know all these details about his life? It's not like some scribe was in the belly of Jonah's fish, like saying, okay, what, what are you praying towards God? <laughs> either, either Jonah wrote the book, or he told somebody the ugliest details about his heart possible. Like, no one would write this story about themselves. And that, that means that Jonah actually revealed some of the ugliness that was in his heart so that God's name would be exalted. And the only way, guys, the only way you can be that honest about what's in your heart is to be so confident that God loves you despite what's in there that you can expose yourself to other people because God's that compassionate towards you. This is the only way we will give God the rightful place in our lives if we know that we are safe in His love and if we see that He cares more deeply than we ever could about the world and how broken it is. And He wants us in the midst of all that. He wants us. He wants to be near to us and He'll take things away to get us. And uh, I've been, you know, some of you... As I've listened, uh, God always seems to take us through the ringer in this life <laughs> in one way or the other um, through suffering. And a lot of times, you know, there's no explanation for why it has to hurt that much, what God does in our lives. But part of how we get in touch with what God's doing is that we see it from another story, and as we see Jonah, what we're supposed to see is ourselves. Just like as Jonah was given this parable, the plant and the worm, he's supposed to see that this is how God is, and we are only concrete learners when it comes to our walk with the Lord. 
Like this is why you can hear so many sermons and you can read so many books, but it ain't going to change you until you go through it yourself. That's what John Calvin said, we're blockheads. And that's why we're given sacraments, because we won't actually believe that God loves us unless we feel it and touch it. We're too weak in faith. And that's the case for your own life. This is why comforts are taken away from you. It's not purposeless. It's for you to be drawn near to God. And know that God is being drawn near to you in the things that you desperately want and have taken away from you. You know, uh, one, of the great, one of the great things that God is constantly doing is that as He reveals more and more of like the infestation of sin in our hearts, His, His love matches it and then goes deeper all the time. And you may say, uh, you know, you're always talking about like the gospel changing us. And you may look at your life and like, I don't feel like that's ever happening in my life. I feel like I'm just doing the same old dumb things all the time, continually. And uh, I want to talk about that for a second. There's an um, older Puritan type guy named Robert Haldane in his commentary on Romans 6. He says, and this is very important, you guys, to truly kill sin in your life. The guilt of who you are before God and others must also be mortified or killed. And if you don't kill that, then the besetting sin will keep cropping up because you didn't go to the root. And what he means by that is that no matter what happens in your life, if you are secure in the love of God, that is what has the power to defeat the reigning sin that constantly crops up in our life. So, for instance, let's say you're an addict, not even of a substance, but let's say you're an addict of worrying, and it keeps coming up. You know, you read something in the news and you just plumb it into like, is there, a, you know, you act like there's not even a God. Like, why does that, the reason why that keeps happening is not the substance isn't the problem, the worrying isn't the problem. It's the false comfort that that thing gives the person that helps you feel like you can face life without God. And what God is doing with Jonah is that he's going down to the deep root and he says, you're trying to live life without me. And you're miserable. And you don't have to be that way. And you're up here focusing on the surface and what God is saying is like, you forgot that I loved you and that that can't change and that, that that's what gives you the power to face anything that you walk through in this life. The substance is just the fruit or the root. If you still find yourself continuing in, the, in a besetting sin or things that you don't want to do, you want to talk about a, a real life group right now? This is what you do. You expose what's in your heart in community. You say, I actually hate these types of people. Because those types of people might be in your life group. <laughs> and then you've got to look at their face and what it does to them. That's when the healing can begin because that's when Jesus comes in and says, I can, I can deal with that. That's honest.
You start by telling somebody, if, that, if a sin keeps coming, you start by telling somebody, I need, you to, I need you to know what's actually in my heart. But the only thing that can give you the courage enough to do that is to know that God does not condemn you. I would even go so far as to say, God can't condemn you. That's what, that's what Haldane means by the guilt that you have when you stand before others and your Creator is dead. That guilt is as dead as Jesus was in the tomb. And so that means, you guys, when the voice of shame comes in your mind, you're like, I can't believe I did that again. I can't believe I thought that about God's creatures. I can't believe I'm so terrible. What, what I want you to know is that that's not the voice of God. The voice of God says, I can only be pleased with you all the time. And that voice of shame that says, you don't deserve to be a Christian, needs to be laid down at the feet of Jesus. That's why he came. Y'all, if we have that power, we can go into any of the recesses of our heart or any community and say, this is the most incredible thing in the world. It's incredible because God would save somebody like me. That's insane. How terrible my heart is. Not to beat ourselves up over it. God's like, yeah, that, that's true, but like, I love you. You were worth it. This makes people into folks who are not worried about their reputation. So when your name is in the dumps or when it's on the heights, you're like, okay, it's about God's name. You're not worried about your own culture when it's declining and another is ascending. And the reason why is because you actually believe that God's name will be praised ultimately in any place, at all times, everywhere. That's where it's headed. And the darker a culture is, you guys, the more beautiful the gospel is. And so the Christian says, this is a great opportunity for Jesus to shine. Because this is real messed up. But it's not as messed up as my own heart. And if I die, I die. We have the resurrection. We're going to look at Esther in a couple of weeks. We're going to go to going through Esther in the fall. But I, I can already hear you, some of you thinking, because I think this too, uh, you might be like, I, I, like, I can't live like that. That's too hard. <laughs> it's too dangerous. That seems impossible. Um, that's literally the first step of where God wants you to be. Of course it's impossible without Him. And just think about the story. I mean, God used Jonah. <laughs> Not the epitome of obedience, is He? Or courage. No. He uses the worst of us. And I'll go even deeper and we'll close here. You, you may be in a place right now where you're like, there's still large parts of me that I don't even want to be with God. That's why Jesus came. For people like you and me. That's why Jonah is written. God will win. He will win you because he loves you. And he won't let your stubbornness and my stubbornness get in the way. This is the power of the gospel. And let's come to him.
Let's not worry about tomorrow. But in this moment, if Jesus is captivating to you, come to him and be at peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. You broke down the dividing wall of hostility, Lord, between you and Jonah and Jonah and the Ninevites. And Lord, I pray that you would break down the dividing wall of hostility that we have towards you right now in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that we would taste fresh what your goodness can do for the human soul. Lord, you are so kind. You are so gracious. You are so gentle. You are so direct in the right way. And so would you show us that as we confess our sin, as we are assured again of your love, and as we come to this table, that we would know that we are all Jonah, and that you have saved Jonas, just like Nineveh's, Ninevites, in Christ's name, amen.